All right. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'm so glad that you are here, and I hope that you will be a part of everything that you could possibly be. Mrs. Yeomans, I need my iPad. We are a mess this morning, I'll tell you what. Well, I hope you will be a part of everything that you can be, and uh, we send the bulletin out every Friday of all kinds of different birthdays and anniversaries and things. Thank you so much uh, of things that we're doing, and I hope you'll take advantage of those things. We just had, yesterday, we had a meeting of uh, men at 6 a.m., and I want to thank you men for coming, and uh, we're excited about that and um, a mentorship program uh, for all men, and I hope you will jump into that if you can and begin reading. We're going to read some books and uh, get together again in a month and discuss that book, so we're excited about that. Then we had a young adults activity yesterday uh, at 4 o'clock, and that was outside at BPS, and uh, they had a fire and different things. So that was another opportunity. And then coming up, we've got a few things coming up. Uh, this year, I'm disappointed to say that we are not able to have our anniversary banquet. I am so disappointed to say that in the first year, in like 43 or 44 years, we're not able to have that. And there's, the venues are beginning to close and different things like that. So we are not able to do that. But we're still going to have our anniversary service. So we're going to have a special Sunday that Sunday. And uh, we have a young man by the name of Jason Borman coming in, and he's been the youth pastor in Aylmore for five years, and I've heard him speak on a couple of times, and the Lord has really moved my heart through him, and so we're excited to have him. Uh, he's, I believe he's a couple years younger than I am, and a couple years older than Pastor Levi, so he's right in the middle there, and so we're excited to be able to have him. He'll be here all, all day Sunday with us, and we're excited about that as well. So there's a few things coming, on, coming up. You check your bulletins in uh, the bulletin email. If you're not on our email list or you're not getting them, by the way, for whatever reason, it seems to be going to some people's junk mail. So if you're not seeing that every single Friday, then you need to check your junk mail, number one. If number two, let us know. Okay, if you can't find that, let us know. We would love for you to be a part of that and know what's going on here at Bible Baptist. Would you please take your Bibles this morning? Turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah. I got you all confused now, don't I? What? Nehemiah. I didn't need to tell you one more thing. Uh, this week, some of you would remember Helen Burke, but Helen Burke passed away on September the 29th. And so if you would pray for her family and uh, just uh, ask that uh, you would pray for that situation and uh, just continue to, they're just having a private graveside service. So if you would just continue to pray for that family. Continue to pray for each other. There's a lot going on. There's uh, many things that uh, people need prayer for in our lives and uh, around us. And so it's very important that we pray for one another. This is such a wonderful day. I have a spider crawling up here. Now a dead spider. We'll take that out of the recording. <laughs> you know what? Let's start with a word of prayer. I need that. I don't know if you do, but I do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity, and thank you so much for the, uh, the possibilities that we have. Father, thank you for the rain. We need the rain, and there's so much that is done because of it. Father, sometimes our spirits get a little bit down because of it, but Father, I pray that your word would change that today, and we would be encouraged about what it takes to rebuild, and Father, that we would uh, uh, put forth the effort that it takes. Father, I pray now that as we begin to turn 
our eyes toward you and begin to remember from your word what you've done for us. I pray that you would help us to focus in on this, help us to remove distractions, and help us to be excited about what your word is going to give us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you like children? They're not an annoyance to you, okay? I, some of, I understand some of you don't. I understand some of you think, oh, they're so loud, they're so annoying. You probably won't like me for very long if you think that. Because I'm loud, I'm annoying. At times, Carrie's shaking her head over here like, yes, you are. And uh, I enjoy children, and I enjoy being a child. I love my kids. Children are so full of life. Uh, there's a, they are bright-eyed. There's so many wonderful things about them. They're inquisitive. My children are very inquisitive, and they're very creative, and I like that. I was reading a book recently that recounted the fact that all children are creative. All children are creative. If you hand them a box of crayons and a piece of paper, guess what they're going to do? They are going to create something. You may not know what that is. But they're going to create something and they'll tell you what it is. They'll scribble something down and they'll tell you exactly what it is that their imagination has come up with. Children are dreamers. They have their whole lives ahead of them. They think about what they're going to be. They have their plans that they want and their plans are constantly changing. My children have gone from Spider-Man to being a chef when they get older, to a chiropractor, to a firefighter, to a policeman. The list could go on and on and on and on and on of what children plan to be when they're older. I wanted to be Batman when I was older just because I thought he was so cool and I had, I had not dolls, I had action figures. They're not dolls, they're action figures. That's, let's make that very clear. But we all start out that way, don't we? We're all kids. And we all are creative and we all have dreams and we all have ambitions and things that we, we think that we are going to accomplish in our lives. But somewhere along the road, we hit a crossroads. Somewhere along the way, we hit a spot in which we have to decide to either make that dream a reality or just leave it a dream. We have to decide whether or not we're actually going to be a firefighter. We have to decide whether or not we're actually going to pursue what it is that we've dreamed about for our entire lives, however short it may have been. Some of you may have had people around you that encouraged your dreams, helped you along the way, said, hey, you can do it. Maybe they even supplied money for you to go to college to fulfill your dreams. Some of you may have had those opportunities. When you didn't feel like it, maybe they encouraged you. They invested in you. They uh, put time and energy into you to help you be able to chase and achieve your dreams. Others of you may not have had that. You may be sitting there thinking, well, I never had that. I never had that opportunity. I never had that availability to me. Maybe, maybe you didn't have anybody helping you. Maybe you didn't have anybody encouraging you. Maybe you didn't have anybody cheering you on. I want to encourage you this morning that regardless of your circumstances, there are people that have stopped pursuing their dreams. There are people that have stopped pursuing their dreams. The bright eyes that were once children's eyes are now clouded and concerned. You've seen people like that, right? 
You look at a child and you see the bright uh, wonder in their eyes and you look at someone who is no longer chasing their dreams. There's no future for them anywhere. They become, their eyes become clouded and concerned. You know those wrinkles on the side of your eyes? I'm starting to get them. <laughs> 32 years old and I'm starting to get wrinkles on the side of my eyes. I want you to understand that that comes over time, but what in the world happens what, why, why, is that, why does that take place? Those dreams that you once intended to make a reality have just become an old, clouded thought. Oh, they're there somewhere, full of cobwebs in the closet. Those things that you once were driven for are no longer a driving force. A lot of times, though, that dream is still a dream. And if someone were to come and stir up that dream in you, Perhaps you might take steps toward that once again. But let me ask you this question. What does it take to go after those dreams? What does it take to rebuild your life? What does it take uh, to make your dreams a reality? I want to preach to you a message this morning that I've entitled, The Discipline to Rebuild. The Discipline to Rebuild. I want you to understand this. While these principles will apply to any part of your life, while the things that we're about to talk about will apply to any part of your life, you say, I'm going to start working out. Listen, these principles will apply. I'm going to uh, lose some weight. Uh, these principles will apply. I'm going to rebuild my life. I'm struggling with some addiction or something. I'm going to rebuild, and these principles will apply. However, I want to focus this morning specifically on rebuilding spiritually. Spiritually. Again, some of you have, may have had your heart stirred by God. Maybe you were a young person, you attended a youth conference. I remember attending youth conferences, 7,000 teenagers. It was amazing. I enjoyed it thoroughly. The preaching was phenomenal. I gave my life to God at 12 years old at a youth conference. I remember it so vividly, and I remember making decisions and going forward to an altar and remembering those decisions and, and continually, constantly moving forward. Listen, maybe that was you. Maybe God has stirred your heart about something. Maybe to be a pastor or a preacher or a missionary or an evangelist, or you, you, you fill in the blank. Perhaps your heart has been stirred to work in a ministry at this church. Perhaps your heart has been stirred to go talk to your neighbors and be a blessing to them. Perhaps your heart was stirred to surrender your life to Him at some point. Those stirrings, maybe, maybe you've gotten away from those just a little bit. Maybe they've just become an old thought and maybe they're a regret that you have. Oh, if I was younger, maybe I would go and fulfill that dream, fulfill that purpose that I know God has called me to. I know he stirred up in my heart. Can I encourage you, if you're still breathing, it is not too late. It is not too late. I've heard stories of people, I know personally people who in their later years of life, they owned a business picked up and moved and became a missionary. Listen, it's not too late for you. And so if there's something in your heart, there's a dream that God placed there, God has stirred your heart about something, it is not too late. Before we jump into Ezra, which we will, I want you to see Nehemiah chapter 1. Look with me in verse 4. Nehemiah chapter 1. Look with me in verse 
4, the Bible says, And it came to pass when I, this is Nehemiah speaking, heard these words, heard the words that the gates thereof were burned, the, the walls were not up. You can see that in the first three verses. Heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. I want you just to stop there just for a second. They are sinners. They have done wrong. He and his fathers before him had been sinning. Let's look at what they have done. Verse 7. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Verse 8. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. Now I want you to understand, Nehemiah has been carried captive. He's either been carried captive or he's been born in a strange land because of the sin of his fathers, because of the sin of his people. They scat, were scattered abroad. There are some left in Judah. There are now some in Persia. Let's continue. Verse 9. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. I read this portion of Scripture simply for a background. I want you to understand what's going on at this time. This is about 15 years after Ezra. 15 years after Ezra begins building the temple and begins working toward that. But I want you to understand what's going on and why they were scattered abroad and what the purpose is. Listen, they had something given to them in the law of Moses. They had something given. This is how God wants you to serve him. This is what it takes to be a good child of God. This is what it takes. And God began to list it. We call this the law the law found in Moses. This is Moses' law, and it was very important to the children of Israel. But notice again that they had walked away from that. They had stepped aside. You see that in verse 7, we have dealt very corruptly. They've done things horrendously wrong. They've gotten away from what God had once stirred up in their hearts. They had gotten away from the living 
God. They had stopped obeying. They had stopped seeking. They had transgressed. They were far away from God. Physically, the temple lay in ruin, but spiritually, the people were in ruin. Just in ruin. So the question is this. What did they need to do in order to rebuild? You can obviously see their lives are in ruin. The temple is in ruin. But what did they need in order to rebuild? To rebuild the temple and to rebuild their lives. They needed, very simply, discipline. Discipline. I don't mean discipline as in a good smack on the hand. Or a good kick in the pants. I, I, I don't, that's not what I mean by discipline. This is what discipline means from Webster's Dictionary. Education. Development of the faculties by instruction and exercise. Training. Discipline. You know what I think of when I think of discipline? I think of military. They're very disciplined people. They are, they're very regimented. Listen, it's going to take some regiment. It's going to take some discipline for you to rebuild your life. It's going to take some training. It's going to take uh, uh, um, development. It's going to take some of those things. Discipline, I believe, is made up of three basic principles. And I challenge you to write these things down. What I want you to see in Ezra chapter 3, we will find these three disciplines. And I want you to see if you can find them with me. We're going to read verses 1 to verse 6 from Ezra chapter 3. And I want you to see if you can find these three principles. I can almost guarantee you'll find more. These are the three basic principles, I believe. Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says this. And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his basis, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the Feast of the Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom as the duty of every day required. Verse 5, and afterward offered the continual burnt offering both of the new moon and of all the, all the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and of every one that willingly offered a freewill offering unto the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. Watch this now. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Let's stop there. I want you to see the first principle of discipline is number one, to emit fortitude. To emit fortitude. It's going to take some mental fortitude to rebuild your life. Let me say that again. It's going to take some mental fortitude to rebuild your life. Listen, it is easy to sit on your couch with a bag of Cheetos and watch television. It's easy to do that. And something will begin to grow on you. Quite literally. 
Your stomach will begin to enlarge itself because all you're doing is sitting there. It's easy to do that. But it takes some mental fortitude to get up off your cozy, comfy chair and do something. Go out in the yard and mow the grass. Go out and do something with your life. Rebuilding is hard work. If you've ever built anything, it's hard work. Rebuilding takes stamina. Rebuilding takes discipline. Say, Pastor Owens, where in the world did you get fortitude out of this? I want you to see verse 2. Very simply, then stood up. Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and his brethren. I just want you to simply see this. They just simply stood up. They just simply stood up. Now, these were the leaders. These were the ones who were moving forward. These were the ones who were leading the way. They were leading the pack. They were the ones that were having the mental fortitude. And it's so easy just to sit down. But these men decided that they were going to stand up. And they were going to stand up for what was right. They were no longer going to sit. Sitting emits a, a, a thought process of casual and comfortable. Usually when I sit on the couch, it's usually not in a suit. It's usually in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, getting comfortable. I remember one opportunity I had to sit down. And I remember I saying to myself before I ever went into this man's office, I will not sit down. Because this was not a sit-down conversation. I did not want to be casual and I did not want to be comfortable. I wanted to make a statement. And he asked me to sit down. I said, I'm not going to sit down for this one. And I remember having to go into my father-in-law's office. My father-in-law is the dean of the college. And if you went into his office, the known rule was you did not sit down because you were in trouble. And I remember some guys playing a trick on a new freshman. Hey, if Pastor Boulder ever calls you in his office, you make sure the first thing you do is sit down. And I remember them saying we used to watch through the glass window and be able to see. They watched as he went in and sat down and got comfortable. And all of a sudden you couldn't hear anything, but you see him snap right up and, you know, get real tense. My father-in-law has said, you do not sit down in his office. It's not casual. It's not comfortable. It's basically saying, I'm not going to rush into anything. I'm just comfortable. I'm ready. I'm not ready, excuse me, to take anything seriously. I'm just going to sit. Standing, on the other hand, gives us an idea of fighting. You usually don't fight sitting down. You fight standing up. It gives us the idea of fortitude. Gives the idea of standing up or facing your fears. Gives the idea of reverence and respect. If you revere someone, you don't sit down in their presence. When they walk into a room, when a bride walks into the room, what happens? Everybody stands. Reverence and respect. Basically, I'm understanding this to be this way. I am standing up for what I believe in. 
Maybe I'm standing up to that bully or I'm standing up to accomplish something. I'm standing up. I'm going to face my fears. I'm standing up. It gives that impression. Let me ask you this question. Is it time for you to quit sitting down and start standing up? Spiritually. I know everybody's sitting down here today and I'm not asking you all to stand up right now. But spiritually, have you just been sitting around, lazing around, being comfortable with where you are in your spiritual life and maybe just allowing those dreams and those things just to pass away? Listen, these people are in Jerusalem now. They're staying in Jerusalem. They see the devastation in front of them. They see what's going on. They have made their trek all the way from Persia to Judah, and here they are. This is no time to sit out. God had stirred their hearts back in Persia. This is no time to sit down. Listen, if God has stirred your heart about anything in your life and you've sat down about it, maybe it's time you stand up. Maybe it's time you stand up and start saying something. Maybe it's time you do the right thing. Maybe it's time you are active instead of passive. Just recently, I began telling my kids this statement. Work first, play later. Work first, play later. Listen, there are things around our house that need to get done. There are things that have to be done, and they have to be done right away. We'll go grocery shopping as a family, and the first thing we do when we get home is as a family, we bring all the groceries into the house. And children can be distracted. They can be distracted by different things and they want to play and they want to get together and they want to do all kinds of things and I'll just simply say, work first, play later. Let's get the job done and then we can play. Then we can have a great time and it's, it's okay to play but let's be serious about this. Let's stand up now on this earth. Let's stand up now so we can sit down later. Stand up so we can sit down later. Let me illustrate. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21, the Bible says this. To him that overcometh. That takes some standing. Look at the next couple words. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Let's stand up now so we can sit later. Let's overcome now so we can sit later, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. You understand that? Jesus Christ came, and as easy as it would have been to turn his life over to Satan and bow down to him, he stood up and said, Thou shalt not live by bread alone. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He got serious about what God had called him to do and he overcame and now he's set down with his father in his throne. Listen, we can have that same opportunity, but we're going to have to stand up first. To stand up and overcome. Stand up now so we can sit down later. Emit fortitude. Fortitude ought to be oozing out of you. It's going to take it. Be stubborn. Be stubborn. My father-in-law always used to stay, say, stubbornness can be a good thing. If you're stubborn about the right things. Listen, you don't want to be stubborn against God. You want to be stubborn for God. 
You don't want to be stubborn against doing the right thing. You want to be stubborn against doing the wrong thing. I will not defile myself with the king's meat, Daniel. Those are the things that we need to be stubborn about. We need to stand up about, be stubborn, stand up. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, the Bible says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Let me encourage you this morning. Listen, it takes discipline to rebuild your life. It's going to take some fortitude. It's going to take standing up. These men decided that they were going to lead. God had stirred their hearts about leading, and they decided, okay, it's time to stand up. It's time to stand up and do something. I want you to see what they did, though. Number two, the second principle is this. Establish your foundation. Establish your foundation. If you are going to stand up, you need to stand on something solid. This is not rocket science, is it? If you're going to stand up, you need to stand up on something solid. I enjoy the outdoors, so I've had the opportunity of walking on all kinds of different surfaces. Concrete is extremely hard. Rocks are extremely hard. I remember fishing one time, and we uh, got on some rocks. Listen, those are very firm rocks. And just a few short miles away was this bay. And in this bay was nothing but mud. And you begin to sink. And you begin to feel your waders being pulled from you. Listen, if you are going to stand, you need something solid to stand on. I've been in swamps where it literally feels like you're going to sink forever. You think, is this quicksand? Am I going to die here today? You must have your feet on solid ground. You must figure out what is going to be your foundation, to put it another way. You must set your priorities. Look at Ezra chapter 3 and verse 2. The Bible says, Then stood up Joshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and his brethren, and look, builded the altar of God, of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings thereon, as is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his basis. This was the, their basis. Listen, and if you jump down to uh, chapter, or verse 6, from the first day of the seventh month began, they had to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. They did not start building until they set up the altar. They did not start building until they set up the altar. You see, there was a priority for them. Priority was to set up their altar. The house of God had not been rebuilt. The walls had not been put up. The roof had not been established because, listen, none of that mattered until the altar was up. The altar was a significant part of this whole process. This is where, hear me, this is where sacrifices were made. This is where sacrifices were made. This is where people surrendered to the will of God for their lives. Altars were the place that people came back to God. The altar was a place of sacrifice of animals. But hear me, it was also a place of sacrifice of the flesh. 
It was a place of the sacrifice of the flesh of animals, but it was also the place of sacrifice of our sinful flesh. Abraham built an altar. David built an altar. Elijah built an altar. The altar was the place that these men laid down their lives to God. And guess what God did? God gave them their purpose and their meaning. Think about Abraham. You know how many times Abraham came back to Bethel? You know how many times he came back and built an altar to God and began to pray and say, God, I've messed up. He'd go to Egypt and mess up come back to Bethel. He'd go to the land of the Philistines and mess up and come back to Bethel. And he'd go and say, no, I'm not going to do that. And come back to Bethel every single time. Listen, David built altars. David messed up with Bathsheba. We read from Psalm chapter 51, he may not have necessarily built a physical altar to sacrifice the, bull, the blood of bulls and goats, which we read in Psalm chapter 51, thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. He said, a broken and a contrite heart. You see, he put himself on the altar. Elijah built an altar. The prophets of Baal were all around, cutting themselves. God had instructed him, hey, build this altar because every person needs to know who is the God. They could not get fire to come down from heaven from their gods of Baal. He douses it with water and douses it with water and douses it with water and prays to God and fire comes out of heaven. Licks up everything. Listen, the altar is a place of surrender, a place of, God, I can't do this. You have to. Let me ask you this question. Listen, where is your altar? Where is your altar? Where have you sacrificed your flesh for those of you who don't maybe understand this, I'm not talking about your physical body, but your wants, your desires. Where have you sacrificed the things that you want to do? Where have you sacrificed uh, for the plans that you have? You've said, God, no longer with my plans. What are your plans for me? Hear me, until you come to the altar, until you sacrifice your fleshly desires, you cannot rebuild upon God and his word. You must start at the altar. Listen, we call this an altar here, and we call the physical structure of being built an altar, but I'm talking about a place in your heart, in your mind. Maybe it's, it's in your closet. Maybe it's beside your bed where you every single day get down on your knees and say, God, it's not me. It's you. I want you to turn over to Psalm chapter 40 with me. We'll come back here to Ezra. Go to Psalm chapter 40. Verse 1. Psalm chapter 40 and verse 1. 
The Bible says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. Look what happens. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay. Look what happens. And he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Notice first, before the feet were set on a rock, notice first what happened. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. I cried after the Lord. I wanted God and I knew that I couldn't do it on my own. I had to surrender my thoughts. I had to surrender my will. I had to give it all to God. And then he heard my cry. He pulled me up out of that miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. And not only did he set my feet upon a rock, he said, that's the way you need to go. That's how you get out of this mess. Listen, if you are going to rebuild, you must set your foundation upon God. Ephesians and 1 Peter called Jesus the chief cornerstone. What the cornerstone is, right? It's the foundation of the foundation. It's the beginning of the foundation. It is where everything else is placed. The foundation must be Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Listen, you can try to build a foundation of good works. You can try to build a foundation of doing the right disciplines, but you must, if you're going to rebuild on Christ, you must have a foundation of Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation like it. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, you might try to be trying to rebuild on something else. You might try to be, uh, get more, uh, be more moral. You might be trying to do all kinds of different things, but you must, you must set your foundation upon Christ. Maybe you've never come to the foundation of Jesus Christ before. Maybe you've never laid your burden down at his altar, at the cross Maybe you've never been to the cross where Jesus surrendered his life to the will of the Father. Where Jesus gave his life so that you can have eternal life. Maybe you've never done that. Listen, if you're going to rebuild, you must know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's the starting point. You must have that foundation. Without it, you will literally be on sinking sand. An old song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Listen, you can trust anything. It looks good, it sounds good, anything. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let me ask you, what is your foundation? What is your foundation? Well, my foundation is my upbringing. How, what I was taught from my parents. My foundation is my background. My foundation is my knowledge. I've learned a lot. My foundation is my family. My foundation are my friends. Listen, it, those, all of those things will pass away. Your foundation must be Christ. Come to him. Cast your burden on him. Every single one of us carries a burden. We all have problems. We all have things we carry around with us, just like a house weighs a lot. By the way, have you ever tried to pick up a house? 
No, because it's virtually impossible. Listen, a house weighs a lot, and it needs a firm foundation. We have a lot weighing us down these days. If we're going to stand up, we need a firm foundation. Maybe you've left the foundation of Christ. Maybe you said, listen, I can handle these things on my own. I can try to do different things, and I'm trying to do this or that. And you fill in the blank, understand, maybe you've left that. You need to get back, come back to Christ and establish your foundation. That's exactly what these people are doing. They're getting back to Christ. They're establishing their foundation. Number three, and finally, I'm almost done. We need to excel in the fundamentals. Excel in the fundamentals. Again, if I could put that a different way, just simply get back to the basics. Get back to the basics. Go back to Ezra. Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. Look at verse 3 with me. And they set the altar upon his basis, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the feast of the tabernacles, as is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom as the duty of every day required, and afterward offered the continual burnt offering both of the new moons and all of the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and of every one that willingly offered a freewill offering unto the Lord from the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. The fundamentals of God's command to the Jewish people were simply to sacrifice and keep feasts. There's all kinds of different offerings. There's the peace offering. There's the wave offering. There's the heave offering. There's the burnt offering. There's the sin offering. There's all kinds of different offerings. The importance of the offerings was exactly the fundamentals of what God wanted for their lives. They had long gotten away from that. We saw that in Nehemiah chapter 1. They had long stepped away from that. And they needed to get back to the fundamentals. Many of us think that we need to do amazing things and have extraordinary abilities in order to rebuild. We look at people that are successful now and we go, whoa, man, if I just had that. Listen, I used to look at Abraham and David and Elijah and Paul and I used to go, whoa, if I just had that, I could be successful. Listen to me. There are no, there are no extraordinary people. There are none. There are only ordinary people that do ordinary things. But what makes them extraordinary, what we think to be extraordinary, is because they take the ordinary things and they do them extraordinarily well. Ordinary people who become extraordinary take ordinary things and do them extraordinarily well. So you don't need great abilities. I want you to understand Enoch simply, hear me, walked with God. That's it. And then he was not because God took him. He just simply walked with God. David communed with God. Abraham obeyed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Hear me, it's just simple. It's just back to the basics. Excel in the fundamentals. 
It was July of 1961, and the 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for the first day of training camp. The previous season had ended with a heartbreaking defeat when the Packers squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter and lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Green Bay players had been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire offseason, and now, finally, training camp had arrived, and it was time to get to work. The players were eager to advance their game to the next level and start working on the details that would help them win a championship. Their coach, maybe you know him, Vince Lombardi, had a different idea. He took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. He began with the most fundamental statement of all. Gentlemen, he said, holding a pigskin in his right hand, this is a football. To professional NFL football players, he had the gall to say, gentlemen, this is a football. Lombardi was coaching a group of three dozen professional athletes who just months prior had come within minutes of winning the biggest prize their sport could offer. And yet he started from the very beginning. Lombardi's methodical excuse me, coverage of the fundamentals continued throughout training camp. Each player reviewed how to block, how to tackle, they opened up the playbook and started from page one. At some point, a player, a wide receiver, a pro bowler joked, Coach, could you slow down a little? You're going too fast for us. Lombardi reportedly cracked a smile but continued his obsession with all the basics all the time. His team would become the best in the league at the tasks everyone else took for granted. Six months later, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37-0 to to win the NFL championship. Hear me. You must excel in the fundamentals. Don't make it too difficult. Don't get caught up in all of the hype. And I need to jump higher and run faster. No, 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 no. You need to excel in the fundamentals. Excel in the fundamentals. Listen, I would love to spend all kinds of time, I'm already over time, on what the fundamentals of Jesus Christ are. But if you say to yourself, I need to, I need to get back to the fundamentals. I need to find mental fortitude. And I need to establish my foundation. And I need to excel in the fundamentals. Listen, come talk to us. We will explain all those things to you. And just be dogmatic about it. Don't allow yourself to miss a day. Don't allow yourself to miss a moment. Excel in those fundamentals. Do them so well. Don't do them better than the person next to you. Hear me. Don't do them better than the person next to you. Do them to please God. Because those that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Fortitude, foundation, and fundamentals. It takes discipline. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day.